Part five of Colonel Chabert. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Colonel Chabert by Honoré de Balzac. Translated by Clara Bell and Ellen Marriage. Part five. During their interview, several times, the figure of a man posted in the street had come forward from behind one of the gate pillars, watching for Derville to depart, and he now accosted the lawyer. He was an old man, wearing a blue waistcoat, and a white pleated kilt, like a brewer's. On his head was an otter-skin cap. His face was tanned, hollow-cheeked and wrinkled, but ruddy on the cheekbones by hard work and exposure to the open air. "'Asking your pardon, sir,' said he, taking Derville by the arm, "'if I take the liberty of speaking to you. But I fancied from the look of you that you were a friend of our general's.' "'And what then?' replied Derville. "'What concern have you with him?' "'But who are you?' said the cautious lawyer." I am Louis Vigneault, he replied at once. I have a few words to say to you. So you are the man who has lodged Comte Chabert as I have found him. Asking your pardon, sir, he has the best room. I would have given him mine if I had had but one. I could have slept in the stable. A man who has suffered as he has, who teaches my kids to read, a general, an Egyptian, the first lieutenant I ever served under, what do you think? Of us all he is best served. I shared what I had with him. Unfortunately, it is not much to boast of bread, milk, eggs. Well, well, it's neighbour's fare, sir, and he is heartily welcome. But he has hurt our feelings. He? Yes, sir, hurt our feelings. To be plain with you, I have taken a larger business than I can manage, and he saw it. Well, it worried him. He must needs mind the horse. I says to him, really, General. Bah, says he, I'm not going to eat my head off doing nothing. I learned to rub a horse down many a year ago. I had some bills out for the purchase money of my dairy, a fellow named Grados. Do you know him, sir? But, my good man, I have not time to listen to your story. Only tell me how the colonel offended you. He hurt our feelings, sir, as sure as my name is Louis Vigneault, and my wife cried about it. He heard from our neighbours that we had not a sou to begin to meet the bills with. The old soldier as he is, he saved up all you gave him. He watched for the bill to come in, and he paid it. Such a trick! While my wife and me, we knew he had no tobacco, poor old boy, and went without. Oh, now, yes, he has his cigar every morning. I would sell my soul for it. No, we are hurt. Well, so I wanted to ask you, for he said you were a good sort, to lend us a hundred crowns on the stock, so that we may get him some clothes and furnish his room. He thought he was getting us out of debt, you see. Well, it's just the other way. The old man is running us into debt, and hurt our feelings. He ought not to have stolen a march on us like that, and we his friends, too. On my word, as an honest man, as sure as my name is Louis Vigneault, I would sooner sell up and enlist than fail to pay you back your money. Derville looked at the dairyman, and stepped back a few paces to glance at the house, the yard, the manure pool, the cow-house, the rabbits, the children. On my honour, I believe it is characteristic of virtue to have nothing to do with riches, thought he. All right, you shall have your hundred crowns and more, but I shall not give them to you. The colonel will be rich enough to help, and I will not deprive him of the pleasure. And will that be soon? Why, yes. Ah, dear God, how glad my wife will be! And the cowkeeper's tanned face seemed to expand. Now, said Derville to himself, as he got into his cab again, let us call on our opponent. We must not show our hand, but try to see hers, and win the game at one stroke. She must be frightened. She is a woman. Now, what frightens women most? A woman is afraid of nothing but— And he set to work to study the Countess's position, falling into one of those brown studies to which great politicians give themselves up when concocting their own plans and trying to guess the secrets of a hostile cabinet. Are not attorneys, in a way, statesmen in charge of private affairs? 
but a brief survey of the situation in which the comte ferreux and his wife now found themselves is necessary for a comprehension of the lawyer's cleverness Monsieur le comte ferreux was the only son of a former councillor in the old parlement of paris who had emigrated during the reign of terror and so though he saved his head lost his fortune he came back under the consulate and remained persistently faithful to the cause of louis the eighteenth in whose circle his father had moved before the revolution he thus was one of the party in the faubourg saint-germain which nobly stood out against napoleon's blandishments the reputation for capacity gained by the young count then simply called monsieur ferreux made him the object of the emperor's advances for he was often as well pleased at his conquests among the aristocracy as at gaining a battle the count was promised the restitution of his title of such of his estates as had not been sold and he was shown in perspective a place in the ministry or a senator the emperor fell at the time of comte chabert's death m ferreux was a young man of six-and-twenty without a fortune of pleasing appearance who had had his successes and whom the faubourg saint-germain had adopted as doing it credit but madame la comtesse chabert had managed to turn her share of her husband's fortune to such good account that after eighteen months of widowhood she had about forty thousand francs a year her marriage to the young count was not regarded as news in the circles of the faubourg saint-germain napoleon approving of this union which carried out his idea of fusion restored to madame chabert the money falling to the exchequer under her husband's will but napoleon's hopes were again disappointed madame ferreux was not only in love with her lover she had also been fascinated by the notion of getting into the haughty society which in spite of its humiliation was still predominant at the imperial court by this marriage all her vanities were as much gratified as her passions she was to become a real fine lady when the faubourg saint-germain understood that the young count's marriage did not mean desertion its drawing-rooms were thrown open to his wife then came the restoration the count's political advancement was not rapid he understood the exigencies of the situation in which louis the eighteenth found himself he was one of the inner circle who waited till the gulf of revolution should be closed for this phrase of the king's at which the liberals laughed so heartily had a political sense the order quoted in the long lawyer's preamble at the beginning of this story had however put him in possession of two tracts of forest and of an estate which had considerably increased in value during its sequestration at the present moment though comte ferreux was a councillor of state and a director-general he regarded his position as merely the first step of his political career wholly occupied as he was by the anxieties of consuming ambition he had attached to himself as secretary a ruined attorney named delbecq a more than clever man versed in all the resources of the law to whom he left the conduct of his private affairs this shrewd practitioner had so well understood his position with the count as to be honest in his own interest he hoped to get some place by his master's influence and he made the count's fortune his first care his conduct so effectually gave the lie to his former life that he was regarded as a slandered man the countess with the tact and shrewdness of which most women have a share more or less understood the man's motives watched him quietly and managed him so well that she had made good use of him for the augmentation of her private fortune she had contrived to make delbecq believe that she ruled her husband and had promised to get him appointed president of an inferior court in some important provincial town if he devoted himself entirely to her interests the promise of a place not dependent on changes of ministry which would allow of his marrying advantageously and rising subsequently to a high political position by being chosen deputy made delbecq the countess abject slave he had never allowed her to miss one of those favourable chances which the fluctuations of the bores and the increased value of property afforded to clever financiers in paris during the first three years after the restoration he had trebled his protectress capital 
and all the more easily because the countess had no scruples as to the means which might make her an enormous fortune as quickly as possible the emoluments derived by the count from the places he held she spent on the housekeeping so as to reinvest her dividends and delbecq lent himself to these calculations of avarice without trying to account for her motives people of that sort never trouble themselves about any secrets of which the discovery is not necessary to their own interests and indeed he naturally found the reason in the thirst for money which taints almost every parisian woman and as a fine fortune was needed to support the pretensions of comte Ferreux, the secretary sometimes fancied that he saw in the countess greed a consequence of her devotion to a husband with whom she still was in love the countess buried the secrets of her conduct at the bottom of her heart there lay the secrets of life and death to her there lay the turning-point of this history at the beginning of the year eighteen eighteen the restoration was settled on an apparently immovable foundation its doctrines of government as understood by lofty minds seemed calculated to bring to france an era of renewed prosperity and parisian society changed its aspect madame la comtesse ferreau found that by chance she had achieved for love a marriage that had brought her fortune and gratified ambition still young and handsome madame ferreau played the part of a woman of fashion and lived in the atmosphere of the court rich herself with a rich husband who was cried up as one of the ablest men of the royalist party and as a friend of the king certain to be made minister she belonged to the aristocracy and shared its magnificence in the midst of this triumph she was attacked by a moral canker there are feelings which women guess in spite of the care men take to bury them on the first return of the king conferro had begun to regret his marriage colonel chabert's widow had not been the means of allying him to anybody he was alone and unsupported in steering his way in a course full of shoals and beset by enemies also perhaps when he came to judge his wife coolly he may have discerned in her certain vices of education which made her unfit to second him in his schemes a speech he made apropos of talleyrand's marriage enlightened the countess to whom it proved that if he had still been a free man she would never have been madame ferreau what woman could forgive this repentance does it not include the germs of every insult every crime every form of repudiation but what a wound must it have left in the countess heart supposing that she lived in the dread of her first husband's return she had known that he still lived and she had ignored him then during the time when she had heard no more of him she had chosen to believe that he had fallen at waterloo with the imperial eagle at the same time as bhutan she resolved nevertheless to bind the count to her by the strongest of all ties by a chain of gold and vowed to be so rich that her fortune might make her second marriage dissoluble if by chance colonel chabert should ever reappear and he had reappeared and she could not explain to herself why the struggle she had dreaded had not already begun suffering sickness had perhaps delivered her from that man perhaps he was half mad and charenton might yet do her justice she had not chosen to take either delbecq or the police into her confidence for fear of putting herself in their power or of hastening the catastrophe there are in paris many women who like the countess Ferro, live with an unknown moral monster or on the brink of an abyss a callous forms over the spot that tortures them and they can still laugh and enjoy themselves there's something very strange in conferro's position said derville to himself on emerging from his long reverie as his cab stopped at the door of the hotel ferro in the rue de Varennes. how is it that he so rich as he is and such a favourite with the king is not yet a peer of france it may to be sure be true that the king as madame de grandlieu was telling me desires to keep up the value of the Perry by not bestowing it right and left and after all the son of a councillor of the parlement is not a creon nor a wrong a conferro can only get into the upper chamber surreptitiously 
but if his marriage were annulled could he not get the dignity of some old peer who has only daughters transferred to himself to the king's great satisfaction at any rate this will be a good bogey to put forward and frighten the countess thought he as he went up the steps derville had without knowing it laid his finger on the hidden wound put his hand on the canker that consumed madame ferraud she received him in a pretty winter dining-room where she was at breakfast while playing with a monkey tethered by a chain to a little pole with climbing bars of iron the countess was in an elegant wrapper the curls of her hair carelessly pinned up escaped from a cap giving her an arch look she was fresh and smiling silver gilding and mother-of-pearl shone on the table and all about the room were rare plants growing in magnificent china jars as he saw colonel chabert's wife rich with his spoil in the lap of luxury and the height of fashion while he poor wretch was living with a poor dairyman among the beasts the lawyer said to himself the moral of all this is that a pretty woman will never acknowledge as her husband nor even as a lover a man in an old box-coat a tow wig and boots with holes in them a mischievous and bitter smile expressed the feelings half philosophical and half satirical which such a man was certain to experience a man well situated to know the truth of things in spite of the lies behind which most families in paris hide their mode of life good morning monsieur derville said she giving the monkey some coffee to drink madam said he a little sharply for the light tone in which she spoke jarred on him i have come to speak with you on a very serious matter i am so grieved monsieur le comte is away i madam am delighted it would be grievous if he could be present at our interview besides i am informed through monsieur delbecq that you like to manage your own business without troubling the count then i will send for delbecq said she he would be of no use to you clever as he is replied derville listen to me madame one word will be enough to make you grave colonel chabert is alive is it by telling me such nonsense as that that you think you can make me grave said she with a shout of laughter but she was suddenly quelled by the singular penetration of the fixed gaze which derville turned on her seeming to read to the bottom of her soul madam he said with cold and piercing solemnity you know not the extent of the danger that threatens you i need say nothing of the indisputable authenticity of the evidence nor of the fulness of proof which testifies to the identity of comte chabert i am not as you know the man to take up a bad cause if you resist our proceedings to show that the certificate of death was false you will lose that first case and that matter once settled we shall gain every point what then do you wish to discuss with me neither the colonel nor yourself nor need i allude to the briefs which clever advocates may draw up when armed with the curious facts of this case or the advantage they may derive from the letters you received from your first husband before your marriage to your second it is false she cried with the violence of a spoilt woman i never had a letter from comte chabert and if some one is pretending to be the colonel it is some swindler some returned convict like coignard perhaps it makes me shudder only to think of it can the colonel rise from the dead monsieur bonaparte sent an aide-de-camp to inquire for me on his death and to this day i draw the pension of three thousand francs granted to this widow by the government i have been perfectly in the right to turn away all the chabert's who have ever come as i shall all who may come happily we are alone madam we can tell lies at our ease said he coolly and finding it amusing to lash up the countess rage so as to lead her to betray herself by tactics familiar to lawyers who are accustomed to keep cool when their opponents or their clients are in a passion well then we must fight it out thought he instantly hitting on a plan to entrap her and show her her weakness the proof that you received the first letter madam is that it contains some securities oh as to securities that it certainly did not 
then you received the letter said derville smiling you are caught madam in the first snare laid for you by an attorney and you fancy you could fight against justice the countess coloured and then turned pale hiding her face in her hands then she shook off her shame and retorted with the natural impertinence of such women since you are the so-called chabert's attorney be so good as to madam said derville i am at this moment as much your lawyer as i am colonel chabert's do you suppose i want to lose so valuable a client as you are but you are not listening nay speak on monsieur said she graciously your fortune came to you from monsieur le comte chabert and you cast him off your fortune is immense and you leave him to beg an advocate can be very eloquent when a cause is eloquent in itself there are here circumstances which might turn public opinion strongly against you but monsieur said the comtesse provoked by the way in which derville turned and laid her on the gridiron even if i grant that your monsieur chabert is living the law will uphold my second marriage on account of the children and i shall get off with the restitution of two hundred and twenty-five thousand francs to monsieur chabert it is impossible to foresee what view the bench may take of the question if on one side we have a mother and children on the other we have an old man crushed by sorrows made old by your refusals to know him where is he to find a wife can the judges contravene the law your marriage with colonel chabert has priority on its side and every legal right but if you appear under disgraceful colours you might have an unlooked-for adversary that madam is the danger against which i would warn you and who is he comte ferro monsieur ferro has too great an affection for me too much respect for the mother of his children do not talk of such absurd things interrupted derville to lawyers who are accustomed to read hearts to the bottom at this instant monsieur ferro has not the slightest wish to annul your union and i am quite sure that he adores you but if some one were to tell him that his marriage is void that his wife will be called before the bar of public opinion as a criminal he would defend me monsieur no madam what reason could he have for deserting me monsieur then he would be free to marry the only daughter of a peer of france whose title would be conferred on him by patent from the king the countess turned pale a hit said derville to himself i have you on the hip the poor colonel's case is won besides madam he went on aloud he would feel all the less remorse because a man covered with glory a general count grand cross of the legion of honour is not such a bad alternative and if that man insisted on his wife's returning to him enough enough monsieur she exclaimed i will never have any lawyer but you what is to be done compromise said derville does he still love me she said well i do not think he can do otherwise the countess raised her head at these words a flash of hope shone in her eyes she thought perhaps that she could speculate on her first husband's affection to gain her cause by some feminine cunning i shall await your orders madam to know whether i am to report our proceedings to you or if you will come to my office to agree to the terms of a compromise said derville taking leave End of part five.